previously on Lost. Uh, first son uh, is a fucking bourgeois pig and gets a domestic worker fired. If I would have told you, it would have been right back to Saeed and his fists. Um, and she then son's dad come in. That's awkward. That's no good. You know what's sick is Jin's combat style. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jin Wick. Doesn't kill the guy, but uh, then, of course, when he uh, walks outside, just boom, right on the, right on the top of the car. And uh, yeah. folks, w- we call that a freebie. The scene where Sawyer goes, I got one question, boss. I feel like I'm becoming our Stephen King on TV correspondent. Oh, I yeah, can, yeah. I can approve Lisey's story that, like, that joins the list of... Uh, like prestige Stephen King adaptations that that are pretty good at least so far, yeah. uh, with the Outsiders, uh, the Outsider, yeah, the just yeah, just uh, the, the Outsiders, of course, being the Oklahoma gang story from the fifties. Yes, 50s. yes. Uh, I was about to say Warriors, but that's <laughs> from the Warriors. Yeah, yeah, different thing. Um, Easy story. It's good. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, I it. I fully expect it to devolve into just like bonkers, just like really stupid shit by the end. But it's it's really like well acted and visually rich. Nice, maybe I'll check that out. It's uh, about a woman in mourning, so uh, hey, one one for the ladies. Yeah, well, I've still just been watching Sopranos, which I am absolutely fucking loving still. I think I told you that I'm reading alongside while I'm watching the book by. Alan Steppenwall and Matt Styler Whites, I think is his name. Yeah. Of it's a, a critical essay about each episode. Oh wow. Um, and it's very good. It's it's worth watch. It's worth re- uh, reading if you ever. You can read it by itself, obviously, but if you ever do another full uh, full rewatch, it's worth um it's worth reading alongside. Nice. Um, but they point out that they 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 say Meadow and Jamie Lynn Sigler, but I'd say that it's um. Anthony and Robert Eiler too. That probably like one of the best actual like realistic representations of suburban youth ever. Yeah. Like any other kid in a in a show with that scene would have some funny quip or like come back to to Carmela, but just I don't know, like very <laughs> very much what a dumbass kid would say. The mob is the expression of the way the old world was organized, at least Mm -hmm. for a lot of, like, poor people, usually. Um, And so their ascendance uh, in America, like, juxtaposed with the life in the mob is perfect. It's also, I also very much, like, it's it's not a spoiler to say that the kids, as they are growing up, will, you know, in, in big and small ways, have to deal with you know, how Tony makes his money. And I don't know, it reminds me of writers getting dragged for having uh, parents that like work at Raytheon and stuff like that. So I also realized that there's another scene in the first season where uh, I think it's on the same, it's two scenes in the same episode. First, there's the scene where Dr. Melfi is seeming to pass judgment on Tony for what he does. And he says like, Oh, I'm so bad. These fucking chemical companies dump shit in the water. Yeah. Um, and then I think in the same episode, Melfi is having dinner at the neighbor's house, Tony's neighbor, the Cusimanos. Yeah, yeah. I love those and scenes. 
Yeah, and they say something. The effect. One of the one of them says something like, you know, everything I see on Wall Street, you know, the mob ain't so bad or something like that. And then you know, the only difference between corporate America and Wall Street and the mob is the fucking whacking guys. Yeah. Um. So I I really do think maybe I'm sort of willing this re- reading into existence, but I don't think so based on on everything I've I've heard and read of the criticism that like what is the difference between you and Tony if you live the same lifestyle and you work on Wall Street bankrupting people and taking their homes and he, you know, kills guys who owe him money? Like, yeah. he's down in the dirt, but you're just as just as despicable as him. It's just that you have a sheen on it. I love those Melfi scenes. I love any scenes uh, where she is having to, you know, like deal with her people and what they think of her. Well, there was that one scene in the first season where she is having dinner with her family including her ex-husband yeah and they're talking about italian american representation and her her husband turns out to like be in the italian american anti-defamation and it's just incredible to me to think about a guy who's like big political influence is the depiction of fucking goombas on tv oh yeah yeah uh you haven't got maybe you have i don't think you've gotten to the columbus day episode yet but no i've not i'm excited though i've heard about it well, speaking of shows that aired around the same time, aren't quite of the same quality, but it's a pretty good one. You want to talk about Lost? Absolutely. Let's do it, because uh, this is the Lost Me podcast, and my name's Ben Ned Spencer, and uh, we don't really talk about The Sopranos. We also talk about Lost, because we're watching it one episode at a time. Uh, I've seen it a whole bunch. Spencer's never seen it before. And tonight, we're talking about uh, Season 3, Episode 3, Further Instructions. Um... I think we should just start things off by saying that uh, how talking about how fucking great Locke looks in the uh, <laughs> in the, the in the sweat lodge. Oh man, the sweat lodge! <laughs> oh, this episode has the return of your favorite lost uh, plot device, the the drug paste. Yeah. Oh, the drug paste. Oh man, it's like I honestly believe that Locke is like a dry drunk for hallucinogenics. Like he, <laughs> he can lick a blade of grass and like get high. Uh, he's one of the guys. He's he, every time he's off, they think he's hunting for boar. He's actually finding trying to find those frogs that you lick. And, yeah, uh, but and, even not not finding yeah. them, he can still convince himself he's he's high. That's fair. This uh, this episode, I. I think this is the biggest hot mess of an episode so far. <laughs> I, I, I really mean that. I don't think I'm exaggerating. You might be right. I kind of love it. But, man, the, the loaves were so hilarious. Yeah. It, it's an episode, I think I said this to you in the chat, it's not a good episode by any stretch. Not much happens. The flashback is absolutely stupid Uh, (laughs) but it is an episode with a lot to talk about because it was trying to do some things and it it just didn't quite get there yeah and this is also this is the perfect episode for Locke as like the spiritually seeking boomer american it is the, the greatest episode so far for that part of Locke, just because there's so much in play. Yeah, he's bring it back. He's like Janice on The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah, truly. They could hang out. Yeah, after you know, after this is all said and done, people are just gonna roll their eyes when he talks about you know, like 
how much how much he learned on the island. Yeah, he's got to talk to the island first. Yeah, yeah, he's got to talk to the island first. Uh, um, let's do it. Let's talk about let's talk about the episode. Um, let's talk about the episode. Uh, you know, first we have that sh- not first, but very early we have that shot of Desmond like wandering around naked. Yeah, uh, just like. Just like, you know, later we, I'm going to go a little free form because I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm a little out of it, but. Uh, You're a little out. Yeah, we, we can, we can do this, we can do this jazz style, baby. Yeah, yes. Uh, eventually we learned that Desmond is Dr. Manhattan. He is on the <laughs> time. And I can only imagine that he's like wandering around in the jungle, like, uh, and at the same time, he is also kissing his ex-fiance's dad on the lips. And he's also like unfurling the sail on the on the Libby, um, the Elizabeth. And he's also just bashing Kelvin over the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so there you go. I mean, let's since we're doing it freeform, let's just talk about about that. Desmond is either having visions or experiencing time in an unstuck way, like you said. Does that plot line? I'm assuming it doesn't surprise you because we talked before about how. The idea of time is something that uh, Lost does play with, but how does it how does it make you feel? As because that's a sort of a a big step towards the sci-fi for the show. Yeah, I'm I'm very down. I'm I'm excited for everything we talked about in last episode about like the scope getting bigger, us understanding more about the different players in this world. Mm-hmm. Honestly, on the level of Desmond, uh, I think it's a it's a fine way to explain why they didn't kill him off. By yeah. all by all rights, they should have killed him there. Yeah. But they wanted to use the character more, so yeah, it's as good a way as any, I think. Nice. Um, I do like all the Hurley stuff in this episode, too. Him sort of breathlessly explaining what happened on the dock. <laughs> what are what are some of the some of the lines he has? <laughs> right before they got bags put over their head. <laughs> yeah, they saw they saw the purple light too. Yeah, he says it made the blender noise. <laughs> the blender noise, yes. Um, yeah, always always good to see Hurley in in good form. Calling out a couple lines, there was this beautiful one from Charlie when he uh, was talking about getting high and watching nature programs on the Beeb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Beeb. I love it. I love well, it. So, so I, I love this episode for Charlie because this was a return to early season one Charlie. You know, he's not like broken, you know, hoarding his heroin Charlie. And he's also not dark Charlie. He was back to, you know, bimbo Charlie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's great. It is a nice feeling. Uh, you know, it's like you, you have him, you have him kind of like get one jab in at Locke about how he was punching him and like accusing him of doing drugs and then all can yeah. be forgotten and that's yeah the, that is the way it should be yeah lock waking up mute yeah that was wild that was wild it's like for for an adult male to uh after a traumatic event be mute it's like it reminds me of this this curb your enthusiasm bit where this like retirement age guy his his parents die and he says i'm an orphan now it's like <laughs> you are not going through this <laughs> but he is yeah 
That's funny. He really is going through it for a bit. I was so relieved that they weren't going to stretch that beyond five, ten minutes. Yeah, no, I, I honestly, I forgot when, if, if he was, like, mute the whole episode, and I was a little worried yeah. that this whole episode was just going to be, you know, Locke gesticulating wildly. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, mute Locke, it's really just, like, him, like, exaggerating psychological ailments he has like he's some he's some hot topic kid yeah. i'm freaking bipolar i freaking have traumatic muteness i also forgot about the fact that for some reason this episode decided the best thing to give Locke to do would be to rescue echo from a polar bear oh my god if you'll remember from the last our last episode of last season the idea that him crying in the woods is, you know, uh, his resentment at uh, what he feels about, you know, being, like, dominated by a black man in that exchange, essentially. Yes. <laughs> I think we got to torture that metaphor a little okay. further. And, like, this is Locke kind of, like, resolving himself to the fact that Echo was right, and he is trying to make things right as only the spiritually seeking in the only way the spiritually seeking boomer male can which is by co-opting another culture's religious practice through the sweat yeah. lodge you know speaking of the sweat lodge <laughs> motherfucker built that entire like thatch sweat lodge in like an hour that was very quick i suppose he has practice yeah he has practice from his like nomad land days See, Locke really is like, um, he's one of those characters, it's like uh, in the Matrix where they're loading programs into you. <laughs> the producers can just be like, oh yeah, Locke, Locke has sweat lodge training. We, we uploaded that one last week. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, Locke, like, waking up from getting uploaded, being like, I know Hopi Indian rites of passage. He builds the sweat lodge and he goes in, and of course he sees Boone with funny hair. <laughs> Boone, I think, seeing him, there are some faces that are representative of eras. And you're mm -hmm. like, you're like, yes, I suppose what I'm seeing is also the outfit, the way he carries himself, the hair. But it's really like, Boone, to me, is like OC guy. Yeah. The way oh, yeah. That... It's sort of like, it's not, qu he's not quite a pretty boy. Yeah. But he's almost that, yeah, you know? Yeah, he's, he's very much, he's like a hair's breadth away. And I just don't think anyone has, I don't think anyone looks like him anymore. I no. don't feel that way. Well, he kind of, I could, I could almost see that, like, Robert Pattinson might be, like, the closest you get anymore. Yeah. Um, but no, you're absolutely right that, like, you you look at that face even now and you think, oh yeah, he was famous in two thousand six. Yeah, just some of the like uh, like mid length hair, like heartthrob. Um, the hallucinated airport scene. Mm -hmm. I some of the lines in there I found like chilling and really intriguing. I really I actually I actually was thinking the same thing that I don't remember feeling this way the last time I watched it. But I thought that whole sequence fucking rocked. Yeah. Uh, li lines like looking at uh, Charlie and Claire and him being like, 
Oh, they're, they'll be fine for now. Yeah. Uh, even st stuff like that, it's just, uh, it's good. What's not good is the editing on this thing. Which okay. <laughs> the kind of shrieks and, like, constant, like, zooms and, like, they sounded like jungle sounds playing. It was very much, for me, like, graphic design is my passion. Like, I actually kind of liked that aspect of it. I kind of liked that it was, like, so just, like, jarring. Well, look, two TV critics at, TM. The, at, the, at the height of their powers can... can we can uh, reasonably disagree. disagree. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this just, like, I almost felt nauseous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was, it, was, it was truly revolting. It was really... Yeah repulsive i loved it yeah yeah maybe yeah maybe that's uh maybe that, that's a that is a good thing so about it um, it serves luck right for appropriating native american culture <laughs> well honestly i think when we can't portray white guys doing sweat lodges on <laughs> like in pop culture anymore like we will be so much the worse for it you yeah know? that's a good it's point. like sure he's a colonizer but like you gotta give him an A for effort. He's yeah. really trying. He's not some like fail-brained millennial making some uh, joke about what what past trauma they have. He's he's really he's really working through his stuff. And... Yeah, and he's also you know he's not trying to sell it or anything. He's not marketing himself. He just no. wants to he just wants to live in touch with his spiritual side. And you know maybe that involves uh, thinking he is from a, a Native American tribe. Yeah, he's one of the Osage. Yeah, he rules. Yeah. So, do you do you remember any um, lines from the hallucination that are you think are worth remembering? Um, let me check. There was one that I do remember. He tells he says that Desmond is helping himself, uh -huh. and I believe about um, Kate. And Sawyer and uh, Jack, he says, you can't help them, at least not yet. Okay, I think at least not that yet is what I wanted to remember. Because I remember he was dismissive about, like, him seeing those. Mm -hmm. And we should say them them being, like, waved through by, like, TSA Benry. As, as Benry, yeah. <laughs> so sweet. Did you um, also notice that the when he was wanding them, the beeping sound was the beep from the hatch? Oh, that rules. That, yeah. that's, that's good shit. So the only thing to say here really would be the actual rescue of Mr. Echo. Oh I just, I just, that's not what polar bears do. I'm sorry if this is cinema sins, but like, if a polar bear just found a guy, he'd just fucking kill him and eat him. Like, that's it. <laughs> Isn't drag yes. him back? Isn't drag him back to his lair to toy with him? Yeah, I think we have to. We we have to know on some level that this this isn't a literal polar bear. Like even if it is, it's operating on some fucked up island logic. Well, I mean, if you we didn't talk about this last week, but we now know where the polar bear comes from, right? Um, those were bear cages that Kate and Sawyer uh, were in. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, maybe it is a truly literal polar bear, like plain and simple. Um, or maybe, you know, the, uh, the Dharma Initiative was doing some weird experiments on them. 
I mean, I still, you know, I can never forget uh, Walt's polar bear comic. That's like, true. That's the shit I want to find out about. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you you gotta hope that spraying the polar bear with fire and rot- watching it run away was like, that's going to belong in the annals of like hilariously bad CGI. <laughs> yeah. Was, no, the CGI on this show is pretty bad. That was so goofy. There's one moment I think in this season that was like a big deal at the time for how bad it is. Uh-huh. Um. So you'll see that. But yeah, there's there's not enough. There's not enough, like, logic, as in plot logic, or thematic logic to really sell the polar bear drama on this Yeah. One. You know, it's like the polar bear just grabbed him by the foot from, like, uh, outside the imploded hatch. It dragged him, what, like, three miles? Yeah. Uh, it, it, I'm sorry, it's just, it's so bad. The logic here... It's it's too egregious. Look, and if anyone can point out uh, lost logic, it's you as an Eagle Scout. And me That's as true. Eagle Scout, but, like, you really did the high adventure shit. Some of it, yeah. And then, you know, you mentioned Jack's speech at the end, but big moment here. We have two people, two red shirts, step up from the chorus. Oh, my God. And are now part of the, the crew. That was... Nikki and Paolo. I, you said Jack's speech. I think, of course, you mean Locke's speech. Locke's speech. That's yeah. yeah. Uh, Nikki and Paolo. Wow. So I I laughed out loud at this part just because it's it was so jarring. It was basically like we've been here the whole time, and of course <laughs> yeah. that that's like that is the best thing about red shirts. Like that is like a great joke. Uh, I honestly I'm surprised to hear that they have names. Mm-hmm. I really thought it was just some like kind of mishandled like no no attempts so, to have a have a chorus so now's as good a time as any to mention this nikki and palo are main characters now fuck <laughs> um okay so yeah, i'll take so it. the introduction of nikki and palo the idea that two people who have been on the island the whole time but have not been part <laughs> of the action were all of a sudden going to be main characters was wildly controversial really Okay, mm-hmm. that's interesting. But the producers were, like, really excited about it. They were, like, because they always got questions. So, you know, I've talked before about how they were the first ever created, like, showrunners to have a podcast. Yeah. Um, And it was a big deal. And they always got questions, like, what are all these other people there for? And they were always like, look, any of them could become characters at any time. And it was like, are they actually, are they actually going to do it? And then they did it. Wow. And so... Talking about the, there's going to be another sort of recurring thread this season to I'll keep um keep you up on is how Nikki and Paolo were perceived uh in the fan the fan the lost fandom. So I, that's a... I, lo- I love a good like uh, fandom rifting controversy. That's great. <laughs> I'm very happy about that. Now the logic to it is a little bit laughable in that like oh yeah they were super normal and just like quiet this whole time and <laughs> you know now they you know have things to say and uh, things to contribute. Uh, that's very funny. I can't the, believe they're real. I'll say this. The way they get the way it ends up being handled, this idea of characters stepping in, is very, very interesting. I'm not going to say whether I like it or not, because you'll see it and I want to hear your reaction, but it's, it's nothing if not interesting. Yeah, I mean, th- there's almost like, 
if nothing else, it's it's very impressive and kind of exciting that this uh, that this show contributes can, continues to surprise, uh, whether for good or for ill. Um, yeah, you know there are some characters, of course, I would be happy to see bumped down to red shirt, and that okay. line that line where Claire is just like, "Hey, what about Saeed and Son of Jin?" <laughs> Like very much like NPC line. There's something. There's something so like clunky about it. It's just like, yeah, just have someone from the beach, just like signify that they still have a connection to these people. The last thing they knew, Michael and uh, Jack and Locke and Kate and Hurley had gone off to like fucking get Walt back. They'd yeah. gone on a commando mission. Last <laughs> they heard. Oh, no, I don't think everybody knows exactly where Saeed and Son and Jin are. They don't quite, I don't think everyone knows that they suspect Michael's a fucking double agent. Yeah. It's just, they're just going about their life. They're just, you know, hanging out, eating coconuts. I love the idea that the sky could darken and the moon could turn to blood as if at the end of days and the hatch could implode. Yeah. And it's almost cozy to imagine that everyone who's not like an A tier uh, cast member is just like, uh, well, they'll take care of it. Like, <laughs> you, know, like, you know, Locke and them will take care of it. I, I don't need to do this shit. Like, <laughs> so I was like, good for them. Like, they, they know who actually, like, uh, moves, you know. Yeah, I mean, if, we're look, if we're looking at Lost as a commentary on America, right? Like, the, the military's <laughs> out doing, you know, fucking murdering natives. And uh, back on the homestead, everyone's just chilling, wondering about, you know, where they're going to get their next meal. That I, I'm thinking back to your comment last time about how we have to try to read Lost as like an anti-colonial uh, <laughs> narrative. And I just, it's like, we need to try and figure out which one, which ones are the colonizers and which ones are the natives. And like, mm, and that's maybe a very it's interesting thing you just said. two groups of colonizers. <laughs> um, Good thing. Okay. Um, I think that's pretty. I think we got to talk about this stupid flashback. <laughs> stupid, but I ki- I kind of love it. Uh, uh, I mean, it's it's truly a flashback that means nothing. Um, yeah. it just in terms of story, like we learn nothing about Locke. Yeah. Well, we almost. I mean, it's like you see Lost. I mean, sorry, you see Locke with a surrogate nephew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Do an uncle magic. That's true. Yes, exactly. I mean, you gotta gotta respect it. But immediately when you see that short relationship, you're like, oh, I wonder if Locke's gonna be betrayed. <laughs> I was like, I, I kind of expected something else to happen besides just another betrayal of Locke's trust. Yeah. You know. Well, it's interesting you said surrogate nephew because this type of boomer does fucking love and or hate their nephews <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah i mean at, l- at least they have strong feelings you know yeah I'd, l- I'd like to see him in the you know in his like some like a trucker cap yeah <laughs> driving down that's like obviously hawaii highway <laughs> yeah anyway, i think it's supposed to be oregon yeah um the guns are weird because i think there's something there's something I really liked about the idea that Locke was completely feckless and boring 
besides the family trauma before he came to the island. Yeah. And so running the guns for the pot growers and, you know, eventually the standoff with the rifle, it it disturbs that a little bit, you know? I'm, yeah. not, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. Like, if you have a character this great and that many episodes to fill, you gotta try stuff. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I feel like this was sort of like the island before the island for Locke, right? Yeah. Like, he could kind of exert a sense of control and a sense of, like, purpose with this crew. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it was just another mask. Like, he's still just this feckless, uh, completely uh, just, like, a meek person. Yeah, I love um, those. I love those scenes of, like, or those those lines where people just shared things really, really kind of heavy-handedly. And it's like, yeah. he locks plant, praying, and he's like, I'm grateful I'm not so angry anymore. And he kind of, like, yeah. Uh, but the best one was what's that what's the guy's fake name eddie eddie yeah was when <laughs> when eddie is starts to probe Locke about like hey what are you what are you hiding from me one of the first things he's, he says is like Locke, why don't you ever talk about your dad <laughs> like <laughs> that normal thing you do with your buddies where you uh where you ask them you know why are they sharing things about their dads? Your buddy who you've known for six weeks. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, I don't think Locke was running guns per se. I think he was yeah. selling them at gun shows. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was using that term kind of loosely. Yeah, I mean, you know, which is interesting because uh, if you've ever watched the, in my opinion, wonderful miniseries uh, Waco, you would know that the, or even if you've just read any books about it, uh, selling guns legally at gun shows was the main way that the Branch Davidians under uh, Dim Koresh oh, okay. made nice. money. Nice. Uh, um, yeah, so I, gotta, I gotta see that series. Let me write it, it down. It's a good series. It's got a... Are you familiar with Taylor Kish? Um, name rings a bell. He was, the, he was one of the guys in Fr the TV show Friday Night Lights. He's oh, okay. been in a lot of other stuff. Um, he plays Koresh and is fucking great. Yeah, I... I would love to explore that stuff. And then one of my favorite actors, uh, Michael Shannon, plays the uh, FBI hostage negotiator. Oh, nice. It rules. Uh, very good movie. Uh, very good series. And also very much will, like, <laughs> make you think, like, well, I don't agree with Timothy McVeigh, but I kind of get why he might do that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're not already there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would also, um, in the same note, I, it's not quite as good. It's actually kind of cheesy, but the uh, Manhunt Unabomber series is also kind of uh, soapy fun with with Paul Bettany playing um, Kaczynski. Okay. Um, you know I'm a big Teddy K boy. <laughs> anyway, very funny to see that the big reveal was just that they're, they're growing the herb. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's quaint to look back on. Mm -hmm. uh, now that like that would be worthy of a of a sting operation. Mm -hmm. uh, how do we imagine that lot got hooked up with these guys? You know, it, it's. I mean, whom among us hasn't had a bad breakup and just like gone off the grid and like made some hippie friends? You know, I could see lot just sort of driving around aimlessly and running into someone at like a diner or something. Yeah, yeah, and having one good conversation, and, you know, he, and, he is someone's Eddie. Yeah, exactly, right? Locke got into this by the same way. 
These yeah. guys just sort of, you know, were like, hey, well, come have dinner. And it's like, oh, my God, this guy wants to hang out with me. Yeah. He, is, he is now my God. And then he, like, he looks over and, like, mouths thank you, uh, but, like, actually really means it. Yeah, Locke, Locke could absolutely, like, you could convert him to anything you wanted. You could get oh, him to join. That would you, be fun. You could get him to join ISIS. <laughs> so, I would yeah. love I would love to track into uh that guy as a Mormon missionary. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You knock I mean, on that you knock on that guy's door with a book that says that you get to be your own god someday. <laughs> but also a book full of like Native American shit, right? Well yes, but also kind of like inspired by very early like boys adventure novels and tales of daring do. Like yeah. there's the, that there's that vein in the Book of Mormon, uh, which I think Locke would vibe with. Yeah, I think so too. I think Locke could be a good. Then imagine him as a missionary. Oh my god, <laughs> oh, that guy funny. would do numbers. What else is there to say about this this flashback? It's a, it's a trifle, but it's yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun to see him in this setting, in the sense that it's um, you know, I don't know. It's it's it, it's the worst Locke episode by far. Yeah, it's, in it's show. good to have that in the. In the rearview mirror. But I will say there are two more lock episodes this season, and they both rock. Nice. I started to wonder if the dad will reappear again. Like, of course he must, right? Mm-hmm. If if he's still alive, he has to. I think. Uh, either way, it'd be interesting. You know, it'd be interesting if he didn't, and they just had to populate Locke's life with uh, new major characters. But I will think. Say- Obviously, there's still one big thing missing in Locke's backstory, which is how he was in the wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. Give me, give me, give me your thoughts. What do you think he's in the wheelchair for? Well, we already mentioned last time it was for uh, trying to get cash back, uh, like buying a bottle of water at CVS. So oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, uh, so, oh God, what what is he there for? You know, I think my first like joking version of this was like trying to climb a fence into like his dad's compound of course his dad is like on the lamb and or who knows where now and doesn't doesn't live there anymore Mm -hmm. um a hunting a hunting accident was an obvious guess but i'm not really feeling it now okay Uh, i mean you know we did have that echo line you are a hunter so i guess i could still see it but it's almost it seems like kind of well-tread territory like a little too obvious yeah I think those are, I think those are the best I've got. Okay, very good. Um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much where we're at for this week. Um, next week, an episode called "Every Man for Himself." It's a Sawyer episode, um, and I don't remember too much about it, but I do remember that there's at least a couple really good scenes. So, um, including one that I uh, quote pretty frequently. So nice. I'll uh, I'll look forward to talking to you about it. Um. Uh, listeners, if you like us, let people know, give us reviews, whatever, and we will talk to you next week.